Welcome, dear one. These are Catalyst Conversations, and I'm Anya, a facilitator and leadership mentor, and the founder and guide of the Catalyst Leadership Immersion, an intimate, in-depth cohort for emerging and evolving leaders ready to catalyze their justice-rooted work, create their signature offerings, and amplify their impact. This fall, I sat down with members of the 2020 cohort, healers, writers, lawyers, executive directors, movement practitioners, change makers, coaches, artists. They are some of the most wise, compassionate, complex, inspiring people I know, who have also become truly some of my most beloved humans. And I'm honored to share them and their work with all of you. Here we dive into honest dialogue about what it means to use our businesses as vehicles for our values, to show up imperfectly and courageously in our work, and to rise into aligned leadership that leaves room for our whole selves and deeply serves our communities. I'm excited to share this conversation between me and Dr. Casey Borba Span. Casey is a naturopathic doctor and licensed acupuncturist and is the owner of Quercus Natural Health, supporting integrated wholeness for self and community well-being. Over the last year of the Catalyst Leadership Immersion, I've come to know Casey as a gifted facilitator. Casey guides intergenerational communities through ritual and connection hosts celebration circles for young people transitioning into adulthood, leads retreats for birth trauma healing, and also offers business tools to healers and wellness practitioners so they can grow flourishing careers. Casey is depthful, truthful, and committed to deep listening and care that starts within us and ripples out to the communities that we are a part of. We had a nourishingly twisting and turning conversation that really felt healing in its own right. I want to note that we did touch on some intense topics around birth trauma, so please know that as you enter into this conversation with us. Let's dive in. So I thought it would be nice to begin by just hearing how your heart is today in the flurry and hustle and unfolding reality that is every day, (laughs) every hour. How is your heart now in this moment? I'd say today, (laughs) I feel like day to day and it also some days changes moment to moment but today my heart's feeling really slow and relaxed and kind of has found a rhythm that's swaying and slow and listening today is a recuperation day for me so i decided that i'm calling my down days recuperation days cuz i just woke up from a nap before this and basically was just piddling around the house this morning and not really doing much other than spending time with my boys and myself. And so I guess my heart today is just feeling like connected and relaxed and slow. Mm -hmm. That sounds really good. Just Mm -hmm. hearing you say that, I feel like, ah, so good. That helps me to just slow down and, and get even more present too. I also took a nap today. (laughs) and I find myself just like allowing for a little bit more pause and slowness too I think part of it is the season and just I love the frame of like a recuperation day or even recuperation time yeah it does feel seasonal too to just be going inward a little bit right now like Clipping off the fall leaves, letting all that, the dead parts of ourselves fall away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Putting yeah, it's in like, our roots and nourishing the roots that help us grow. So, yeah. Might be yeah. 
my learning of 2020 is how do I nourish myself? Yeah. Will you talk a little bit about that learning as much as you want to share and kind of what has been helping you to nourish yourself? What practices help you tap into that slowness, that root space, that nourishment? I think for me, the first thing that helped was really embodying self-acceptance and really coming to an understanding of my comfortable pace and my the way my brain works in the world, which is my comfortable pace is like on go, very active, very doing oriented. My brain works really fast and takes in more information than most people at any given moment. At least that's according to my counselor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I am generally in a hyper-aroused nervous state, nervous system state. So I have a lot of hypervigilance due to my past history. So staying rooted and nourishing my roots has been a big unlearning of doing and a learning of rest Mm. of listening to my body and letting my body take the lead rather than my brain. My brain's real high functioning. And so um, my body has taken the brunt of that through lots of accidents and crashes and different ways of not having a lot of forethought or embodied beingness through my early, okay, early life, the first, third, plus odd years of my life, <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. Assuming I live a, a nice 90-year-long life, I'm assuming I'm in about my second third of life right now. So I feel like that's something the Catalyst Cohort's really given me is the gift of taking the time to stop and listen to my body and being encouraged to do that. Like I came into the cohort with like, I think four or five projects. I was like already starting balls rolling, raring to go, wanting to <laughs> I wanted them to like get cleaned up and Anya kept being like, take one, choose one thing. Mm. And I never really focused on one thing, but I did focus on myself. And so that's one thing I had to learn how to focus on and to get comfortable with and to really choose. And I think that's the blessing of 2020. It's really taught me where my choices lie. And I really need to choose where I focus my energy and how I focus my energy and recognize my value is beyond my doing. Mm. And that my emotions are not bigger than me. I don't have to stay busy to keep them moving either. So I guess I, th- I think I answered your question. I didn't say any practices. So what am I practicing? I think the biggest aha moment I've had in 2020 was when I was having a really rough few weeks, maybe like six weeks or so. And I realized that I had to tune out from the world news a lot more, not totally out because I still want to stay in touch with my environment, which the world is my environment. And, but I really had to step back from that and stay connected to my young son, particularly. I have a three-year-old who's really got a similar brain type and pace as me. And so we're always on the move. We're always engaging and going and this and that and da-da-da-da-da. We're like a fart in a whirlwind as my family. <laughs> fart in the whirlwind gene in my family. It comes down through my mom's line and her maternal line. And we're very good at staying busy. And <laughs> So I realized for his emotional well-being and for the next generations to come, I really like that. I don't know where I picked this up, but years and years ago through teachings from indigenous folks, like our actions now we have to consider for seven generations in the future and how it will affect them, mm. as well as give gratitude to seven generations in the past for what, where we are now. And so really looking at, I think there's a lot of big movements right now around being a good ancestor, like with Leila Saad and stuff and Caitlin Quinn who's in our Catalyst Project about really being an ancestor and so that looks like what are, what are our children's children's children 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 going to look like and if we're not making these children whose children are we cultivating in this world who are the children around us and so I realized that for the children around me particularly my son was the catalyst for this but my younger son I have an older son who's 18 so it's a little different with him But just really having to find my center, maintain my center for his center so he can grow up rooted and feeling like how he is in the world is exactly okay. And he can grow up feeling like there's hope and that there is resilience and there's creative problem solving and that there's conflict 
and conflict resolution and that that all needs to be happening and that is going to be happening in our microscopic experience of the day-to-day of our family life for him because he's not connected to the internet in any real way. He's not, you know, he's, his world is, is very local and mm-hmm. especially with stay-home orders, it's very local. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that when I realized that I needed to step up in my motherhood and in my way I showed up for my family and really center that as my practice, that's what nourishes me more than anything. And centering my, my chosen family, where chosen in the sense of my marriage partner and our children, chosen family in the sense of, you know, larger family, but also my family of origin and healing relationships there that have been broken in the past or just encouraging new growth in those relationships, really, and staying connected to those relationships. And a real firm believer of centering family and having healthy families makes really healthy societies and that families look a lot of ways. I think we're still coming out of that assimilation mindset of like a family being a man and a woman and a boy and a girl and this perfect little white picket fence and all that. Like we're finally, that was like the 1950s assimilation mindset and we're finally starting to come out of that and really recognizing in our common language and the way we describe families. Like families come in so many shapes and sizes and colors and practices and cultures and communities that we really need to be aware of that. Like with my older son, I've been in his life since he was eight, and we've always talked about how he has his biological family, he has his Portland family, and his Tucson family, and each of those families have different rules, and you play different roles, and you contribute in different ways to each of those families, but those are all your families. So we can look at what our family units are, look, are doing right now, and how our families are being supported within our society. I really feel like that's how we can build a healthier, nourished root system Mm. That can then grow into healthier societies and communities. So and ripple out for, into the generations. It sounds like too. Yeah, definitely. So mm. I hope that was somewhat of a rambling answer. Beautiful, from, uh, freshly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I feel like you touched on so many things, and I'm just like sitting with what you said and wanting to really absorb all the different pieces. I feel like I can resonate with so much of what you've shared on a really palpable level, like the sense of expanded notions of families and caring for the people in our lives as really like the source that that grounds us and roots us for everything else that we might be doing in the world and really tending to those relationships. I've felt that profoundly, I think for my lifetime, really, in the way that I have been raised deeply in community, but also really around COVID and just recognizing the essential quality of of deep connection and relationships. I also really appreciate what you said about kind of disentangling I'm going to say it in different words, so correct me if this doesn't feel quite right, but like disentangling a sense of worth from doing or like that productivity doesn't have to inform our our value in the world. Does that feel close to what you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, that also is just such an unlearning, such a like lifelong unlearning Yeah, my rational brain still doesn't understand it, but my feeling body gets it. Yeah. So it's really still hard for me too. And I just have to say that noise you heard was the door in the private room and then opened and a little teeny three-year-old came crawling. (laughs) 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 So timely. (laughs) We saw your face on the, because your picture is up. Oh, cute. Um, he smiled all big and recognized you oh I love that Mm -hmm. I love that our our catalyst community this year especially has really included family in such a beautiful way like all the little ones who show up on our zoom calls and feel really part of it yeah it was it's really different to be in a community where there are you know women without children and women with children and yet it's all, it's all okay. Like we all are allowed to be mothers and professionals and humans in the group. And 
if we could just be allowed that more in other places in society, I think we'd have so much, so much more health. And, yeah. and like, so f- I think it would be fewer hurt people hurting people, right? Because yeah. families would be honored and would, it's not like you have to, especially, I worry about this year, how much it's affecting like women in the workforce and how so many families automatically decide and, and, and these are heteronormative families but decide that the woman just stays home and takes care of the children in times of financial strife and it makes sense because men are still bigger wage earners so the family can have more financial success that way but it's also just like man we got to really be careful about the choices we make when we have to make these choices like how the stay home orders have affected so many people's economic stability right and now yeah. Now so many women are going back to the home and away from work. And how are these businesses then going to be shaped without a woman's voice in them? How, you know, what's that going to be looking like? And then in our home lives, what's that going to be looking like? And how are we going to find the balance that we need? And the Catalyst Group has really been showing me that at least among a group of women, we can still honor motherhood and show up for each other and understand that kids are a part of of our lives, not something that have to be quiet and only spoken to, speaking when they're spoken to and shoved under the rug. Otherwise, you know, clearly you can't dedicate time to your profession. And if you're a mother too, and I just, it's a balancing act for sure, balancing motherhood and professional life, but it's also something that our society seriously lacks in that helping us balance. (laughs) Yeah. And I think there's like all, all these ways in which we're we're asked to compartmentalize the different aspects of ourselves and our realities. And, you know, like it's just a home life or it's just parenthood and then it's just business or, you know, leadership has to look a specific way. And I feel like this year particularly has been an impetus and an invitation to to gather those pieces and recognize that they're all interconnected and that they all really can challenge each other, of course, but also serve each other. Mm -hmm. And that it's not just one realm, but it's like each realm really, really adds to the next. And I'm excited about that. I mean, I know that there is, there is deep challenge and I just, I don't remember the numbers, but I looked I saw some statistics about how many women are returning home after being in the workforce because of COVID. And it's like a much, much higher number than men in heterosexual partnerships. And I think that is going to have a really lasting impact on, on our relationships. And I'm curious about what that looks like for, for women, for non-binary folks who are you know spending more time now at home with kids but who are running their own businesses like what does that look like for entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and people who are not leaving an office necessarily but are maybe leaving or shifting the culture of their work life yeah i think that that's another really great question to ask and maybe that's like even going further upstream before we get into the, you know, gendered issues of wage earning and domestic capabilities and thinking about, oh God, I'm sorry, I just dropped my thought. I got this cute kid on my lap. and (laughs) Yeah, the solarpreneur, the motherhood. I know, like, for me, that was part of it, the catalyst, because I am a solo entrepreneur. Yeah. own business and I think because I am an entrepreneur and a mother, I started out being an entrepreneur before I was a bio mom. I've been a stepmom since I've been an entrepreneur. And I very early on recognized just with the nature of my work is really energetically taxing for the style I do it. And it's also a lot of brain taxing and documentation taxing and paperwork taxing in a whole other way. And so I started on really early on in my work-life balance saying I didn't really ever want to see patients more than three days a week and I'd be open to doing other work but three days a week felt like my maximum capacity Mm -hmm. 
um, that serves really well than having a bio child and only working three days a week still. Or, and, you know, before having the bio child, I worked like three, about 14 hour days a week. And now I work about three, six to eight hour days a week. You worked um, 14 hour days? Yeah, I would see like anywhere from eight to 10 patients a day, but that's like an hour to an hour and a half each patient, plus all of the paperwork and research for their cases and and the paperwork and the paperwork and the paperwork and the paperwork. And I did like my own billing and all this stuff, but I basically refined my systems at work well enough and had help when I hired a biller who's also about systems refinement. Um, We refined my system, so now I work six to eight hours three days a week and I don't really bring work home and I you know occasionally I'll, I'll connect with a patient when I'm not in my office days but I usually try not to I stepped away from primary care work and became an adjunctive care provider for that reason of wanting to center my family and have a balanced work life you know a work-life balance in my life I don't know mm. if I'm saying right, but there's a catchy term people use that I'm not coming up with yeah but work-life I, balance but yeah I just knew after like all the work I'd done to get to the place I was in my profession with all the education and whatnot that I just, I was tired and I wanted to, and I had had some big injuries during the actually delayed graduating medical school because I had a bad car wreck and some brain injuries that I was dealing with. And I have had a lot of lessons that the catalyst cohort reinforced of slowing down. And the catalyst is finally the place that I listened because it was a choice or Mm. that I use it rather than like I was so injured that I had to slow down and that's been my pattern since I was about 19 so just under 20 years and so it was it's it's really freeing that I'm I've been trying to break this pattern for about a decade Mm. so it's really nice that the cohort gave me the support and the community to really like knock on wood I know 2020 is not over yet but I have not not had a major illness or injury in 2020 Mm. And that's rare for me. Mm. My body take the brunt of the work I have in the past. Let my body take the brunt of my dissociation and my hypervigilance and all that to where my brain was super active and working and keeping me safe, but forgetting I had a whole body attached. Yeah. Well, Casey, I, I right. bless you with 2020 of good health and wellness. Yeah. So then the 2020 with the solo mom solopreneur mom issue coming back to your question the catalyst really helped me realize that because I really love facilitation work and I would like to be doing clinical time maybe two or three days a week and then facilitation either quarterly or in I'm still kind of kind of dreaming up if it would look like four-week sessions or quarterly sessions or you know put out a body of work and then let that kind of live on the Mm -hmm. web so I'm still kind of playing with the different ways that that can look, but it was really nice to get off the train of go mode and like stop at the station and take in the scenery and figure out what actually was needed on the train. Yes. <laughs> that, that I don't feel the pressure to get all this facilitation work out. Like my heart and my passions were driving me to, like I'm really good at that. And actually t- spending some of that more mutable time of reflecting and like slowing down and really seeing like, I know I have all this great stuff to offer the world, but is it generative for me? Is it mm. helping me? Like I, I have a, a server's heart, right? That's like, I'm always going to be in service of other people because that's just where my heart lies. Of That's who I am. But I don't think that I need to serve people in the ways I was prior to 2020 and prior to being a part of the Catalyst cohort. And that alignment was just really lovely that those two things happened at the same mm. time in my life. <laughs> well, and it's like, Finding ways to serve that doesn't feel like a detriment to your own vibrancy and wellness. And I think sometimes that does mean like just serving and replenishing you or just really deeply engaging with the primary people in your life. And I feel like that's such a a vital reminder and I think over this year, you have been such a generous teacher to us in the cohort around really trusting your pace and shifting from the pace of the go, go, go mode that you were used to and like recalibrating in real time and talking about it with us, like letting us into that process 
And that's something that I see so many of us kind of grappling with and working on and also recognizing that the seeds that we plant, you talked about this metaphor many times over the year, but that like we're blooming at different times. And sometimes it's the root system that really needs the work. Like that's where our attention and energy goes and the bloom comes later. And that's just something that really has stuck with me and will continue to be part of my awareness as we kind of respond to what feels like a lot of urgent need in the world, especially right now. And it's like how to hold all of that or like the response and the responsiveness to external pulls and needs and immediacies and also respond to the urgent pull of our own wellness and vitality. Yeah, I um, I love this seed analogy and thinking about divine timing and something that's been really helpful along that those lines in my in my learning from the Wang Feng Yi teachings, which comes out of Confucian era time. From Wang Feng Yi is a a man who grew up and lived in what is now known as Mongolia, I believe, but out in that part of northern West China, and um. In the Wang Feng Yi teachings, there's this idea of yin guo. And yin guo is all about, you know, we reap what we sow. And thinking about as what's manifesting right now in the world and in our global politics, our local politics, our national politics, our race wars and race debates and race, racial liberation conversations and reparations and everything. All of this are seeds that were planted generations ago that we are now harvesting. Mm. And so how are we going to choose to harvest them? And what's our harvest going to look like? Are we going to save every seed from, you know, it's late summer right now, we're collecting seeds, right? Are we going to harvest every seed? Or are we going to let some of those seeds go and find new seeds? Are we going to harvest and make meals and share with everybody? Or are we going to store for the winter? You know, like, how is our harvest looking? So it's not only about how we're planting seeds, but how are we harvesting our seeds? And then what kind of soil is that setting up for the future? Because mm. it's all interwoven and interlinked. And so this idea of yin guo is really about in the moments you're feeling challenged, how are you harvesting that challenge? Mm. Right? And what are you choosing to nourish in that harvest? And how are you using that harvest? And who is connected to that harvest? Mm. If we're harvesting all of those seeds, what are we going to be doing with them in the future? And I know we don't have control over all of the seeds because there's a lot of big systems at play that we're just cogs in, but there is a lot of insidious things we can do, like the radical rest we're talking about. You know, they talk about how they, I say they, (laughs) talk about how racism is insidious and it's so a part of our fabric of our lives that we can't even see it very often. And so one of my anti racism goals is to be insidiously (laughs) anti-racist i love that insidiously anti-capitalist i'm Mm. not saying that people shouldn't be paid for their worth and value and i see the energy of money can be really positive it also has a really dark side to it but we could find forms of capital gain that aren't in the model of capitalism we're using today where more wealth can be spread around more people and we can really do things like you know, Sarah in our cohort is doing her creative alchemy cycle. Of course, I'll spend $30 a month to support her, to live her dream so she can, you know, be free of all of the systems that were, you know, not working in her life. And so now she gets to be the human and creative artist and activist she wants to be because, you know, a few hundred people can throw $30 her way a month, mm-hmm. right? And you get this beautiful gift out of it too of reflection and actual physical gifts they receive and art and prompts and things and so it's like that is engendering more beauty of seeds that she's doing and and like that's a form I feel like if we could all find you know find the farmer in your neighborhood I have an urban farmer like 10 blocks away from me who we've done her CSA many years and it's like that's a great way of finding a new way to live within a money world because we're not 
I highly doubt with as refined as our money systems are, we'll go to barter and trade again as a global society, right? Like there's probably going to be a monetary marker of things values such as money. And so if we can find ways though to use and support each other in a more local, engaged way, maybe that could be an insidious form of anti-capitalism, you know? Yes. I, yeah, I love that. And I definitely, for me over the years, you know, coming from real sort of like grassroots nonprofit background, just doing some work around my own relationship and stories with money and coming to a place where in this in the capitalist system as it stands like really identifying ways that we can use our money as energy and use it with intentionality and with local focus and that's that's been a real shift for me of just recognizing that the money that comes through me can really flow out of me in ways that grow my values and the things that I believe in, the people that I believe in, the neighborhoods that I want to cultivate. And that's felt freeing even within kind of the confines of, of the capitalist system that we find ourselves within. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, it's like, I feel like as an entrepreneur, that was probably my biggest shift in my money story, you know? Yeah. It's just like a way we mark the energetic exchange and it's not something that's like going to turn you into a power-hungry greed monster because you make money and you have money and you can support your family. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And for me, it really shifted. You want to live in, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Totally. Me as well. And I just realized like, I don't think it needs to be this way. But for me, when I recognized that the money that I earn doesn't just stay with me, that's when I was like, oh, I feel better about this. And it's always changing hands. I mean, yeah, I think about because I know financial stress is personally for me. And I think for most people, and I think even they talk about it with counselors saying like, one of the number one divorce reasons is over finances, right? Finances yeah, are stressful. And I know for me, like that song by Bob Dylan, my money rolls and flows, like my money comes and goes and rolls and flows through the whole <laughs> pockets of my clothes. Like I've held on to that since I was an undergrad and I just, it really helps me realize that money does come and go and money is an exchange of energy. And even if you have a lot of it, you might not be very rich in your life. And when you have almost none, it might be the richest you've ever felt because you have you know, that's when your community usually shows up and that's really where like our value and our worth and our understanding of riches really comes from is like, how do we resource share and support one another and make sure our resources are getting to everybody? Like mm-hmm. that mindset that it's the, I don't know what it's called, but I know it's the opposite of scarcity mindset. <laughs> it's like abundance or something. <laughs> I know. And it's like the earth is so resilient and healing. Like she has enough resources for all these humans, even though we keep saying we're tapping out her resources, we're just not doing stuff smart enough for her, mm-hmm. and, for her. And, and at a pace where she can regenerate. So we need to slow our pace. And, <laughs> there it comes again. We need to slow our pace. Yes. And, you know, really rethink how our systems are working and how we can create systems that put back into the system rather than just take from it. Yes. Yes. It's necessary. And I think, you know, that's such a pressing reality. Mm-hmm. Even though there's a hole in the ozone, we are actually a closed system here on Earth, so maybe we can make it work for us. <laughs> Casey, will you talk a little bit about some of the other ways that your values really show up in, in your work, in your life, in, in your facilitation? Oh, that's a hard question. My values, I mean... We've talked about several already. Yeah. yeah. I think that my values really, I think, are the actions that are aligned with that. We did a North Star exercise and aligned with that. What keeps coming up for me is my North Star, like my guiding direction is like just ways of being and being in the world. And like, I feel like that goes along with the self-acceptance, with the, the pace 
stuff we were talking about with the family, like, and in the work I do um, with patients, it's like no one is or can really show you how to be in the world as yourself, right? We all have to discover our ways of being in the world. And there are limitless ways of being in the world and showing up. And so I think that if we are able to accept ourselves and extend that acceptance to others with compassion and understanding, that we can find there's a lot of ways of being in the world that we can accommodate and that are okay. Um, you know, barring the, the uber violin or grotesque stuff, I'm not talking about that, but I'm kind of lost on your question too, so I apologize for... No, uh, that's fine. Just it, exploring values in your work. And yeah, can so, I share one that I see in your work? Maybe that'll help me if I have an example. <laughs> well, you know, we have done, you and I and the cohort as a whole, work around writing the languaging of how we show up in the world and websites and offerings and really finding the words. And so I feel like I've had this like beautiful insight into your work as a healer, even though you and I haven't worked together in that way as like patient and doctor. Mm -hmm. But something that really strikes me and how you talk about your work and engage your work is that even as a doctor, as a healer with so much knowledge and expertise and grounding, it seems to me like you also are so rooted in a deep trust of your patient and that you really are supporting them to find their own way in their healing journey. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, you've said to me, ideally, they're not necessarily coming back, right? Like you're empowering them, you're engendering them to find the tools and activate those tools. And I just find that to be a really unique and special approach that I don't imagine a lot of practitioners are, are working around. Yeah, a lot of practitioners have patient retention programs and stuff. And right. um, so I'm not the best like business model person if you want to talk about traditional capitalistic business, right? Like having returned customers is what you want. But for me, it's always been about, I just want people to heal and feel healthy and find their way in the world. And I want to be an aid in that. And like I said, I've got the server's heart. So I want to help people do that. And I get to walk on these really intimate, lovely, arduous journeys with people as their health and healing ebbs and flows on that journey. And yeah, so I do have a deep trust that I think, I think that the trust in what you're talking about is I have a deep trust in divine timing, meaning that like someone will show up to see me when they actually need to see me and when it's right in their life and the way they find me. Like Anya said, we're just now getting a website up and I've been in practice. beautiful. It's really cool and I'm really excited about it. And it's nice that it has, a, there's a landing place for people to find me online, but it's also very against my nature of being like word of mouth. And I come from a real small country, so or like rural country. And so I'm used to that handshake, eye contact. You find out what you want to do by talking to people and yeah. stuff, so not just by internet searches and whatnot, but that's awesome. Hopefully people will still be calling you and texting you. And yeah, <laughs> I still get word of mouth, word of mouth referrals and I do prefer that, but it is nice that, you know, if somebody gives me a word of mouth referral these days, I like to then go check it on the internet and see what's up, you know? And so now I have a place for that and it's quercusnaturalhealth.com. Quercus is a Latin term for oak. If you're having trouble spelling it, it's Q-U-E-R-C-U-S naturalhealth.com. That's my website where Anya and I have worked arduously on languaging, but also just coming to an understanding of how I really want to operate in the world and how I really see healthcare benefiting people or the style of healthcare I do benefiting people because there's a myriad ways of seeking health and wellness. I'm just one <laughs> option. <laughs> yeah. And, but so the trusts that I was talking about, I really believe part of that comes from a deep trust in divine timing. And part of it comes in a deep trust in a body's wisdom, which is so funny because I have a, this is the hard lesson for me, like the wounded healer, right? 
my wound is in body stuff and having a healthy body that's not injured and having conquered my body and made it through really extreme situations through mind over matter and realizing that as a healer though, I only listen to bodies. Mm. Bodies tell me what the patient needs to hear and learn and know. And so listening to my own body has, is really opening up my ability to heal as well, um, mm. to help people in their own journeys. And so what that just tells me more and more is like, my job is to encourage people to find their own healing, to trust their own body and to really listen. And the signals do get confusing and mixed up. So yeah, have somebody who can help guide you on that. And if it's me, great. If it's not, I hope you find the person that is great for you. Because that's really what it's about. It's not about me being the key to someone's healing. It's about someone trusting me enough to help them find their own place in their healing. A true and, partnership in that regard. Yeah, their own, their own um, impetus in their healing, their own ability within their healing. Right? And I'm a firm believer that no matter what your profession is, we're all healers. I don't think that any human is put on this earth without the ability to heal. And healing takes so many forms. And so I encourage everyone to take moments to listen to your body and find your medicine mm. and just own your medicine and accept it for what it is. Like, mine's weird. I used to fight with one of my Chinese medicine practitioners all the time about how chi feels because for that teacher, chi always felt this one way. And for me, chi feels a really different way actually described, described completely opposite when we put words to it. Mm. Yet, if we were on a patient, we would feel the exact same thing and come up with really similar things for treatment or whatnot. But the way we described it was, and the way we experienced it was utterly different. Mm. That was like one of those aha moments like, oh, we all hold our own medicine. Mm -hmm. And whether we're in the healing arts or not, we all hold our own medicine. And so if we need healing, which we all do, um, if you have a earthly human body you need healing <laughs> especially when we think about the yin guo and all those seeds that were planted by our ancestors like we all need healing yeah we do yeah and so i think there's just like i have these really i have a really deep connection to the divine and have since i was really young um despite my upbringing in organized religion and not to say there's anything wrong with that it just wasn't the place where i found my spiritual connection I find a lot of people do find great spiritual connection through organized religion. I'm not trying to bash that at all. I'm just saying that through my deep spiritual connection, I'm able to cultivate these trusts that I see a lot of people not know how to walk with. I don't see a lot of people walking in deep trust of divine timing and in deep trust of their own light and knowing and wisdom and their body's ability to tell them what they need to know about themselves. Yeah, I feel like we are in this culture so much taught not to trust those things, not to listen, not to pay attention in that way. Yeah. I mean, we're even told eat three meals a day and these are the times you eat those meals. And it's like, but what if my body wants something different? And what if my body changes with the season or with my moon cycle? Or what if my body changes because I'm going through a stressful thing in my home? Or, you know, there's all these confounding factors that can play a role and can have, you know, deep, insidious, profound effects. Mm -hmm. And so why don't we listen to those signs? We need reminders. We need invitations. We need space, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like we and need sometimes wrong? that slowness too. Right. And what's not always healthy. Mm -hmm. healthy, right? Normal is such an unhealthy term. <laughs> yeah. People all the time like obsessing about if this is normal, is this normal? Is this normal? It's like, it might be for you, but let's talk about if it's healthy. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think you and I do similar work in very different ways around helping people tap into their own knowing and their own sense of what feels good for them. You know, for me, my mode is leadership and facilitation and breaking down the norms of what that looks like or quote-unquote should be and providing scaffolding to find our own way in it. And I see you doing that so beautifully and deeply through a more specific way of healing. It's all healing, as you say, but healing, healing bodies, healing 
ailments, but inviting people really to find their own way to that and through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think you're a, a beautiful healer, Anya. Thank you. Yeah. Casey, do you want to tell folks a little bit about some of the other projects you have in the works and other forms of healing offerings that you have created? Yeah, I feel like they're all very much in their like womb state still. <laughs> some, of them, some of them crawled back into the womb. <laughs> Actually, my son tries to do regularly too. So <laughs> thing. Um, some of us just want to get back up and crawl into fetal position and start <laughs> off. So yeah, I obviously 2020 is different, but I uh, annually host an intergenerational women's retreat and women being anybody, binary woman or non-binary woman, as long as they're okay with centering the experience of a woman or of the female experience. It's an intergenerational women's retreat where we do a lot of like, there's always a theme every year about some form of growth and personal cultivation. And there's lots of arts and crafts and community and fun and lighthearted laughter and deep dives into journal work and movement. And it's for all ages. So we make sure that every offering, every breakout session, there's something that could work for a three-year-old and could work for a 93-year-old. And it's just a really beautiful way of speaking of how we were talking about families before. It's like there's women there who, you know, they don't have great relationships with their children, so they don't know their grandchildren. And when they come to retreat, they get to have all these little grandchildren and, you know, sisters whose mother have passed. And now they get to be around women who can, you know, the sisters might be in their 30s and their moms, you know, their moms passed and they get to be around women in their 60s who can help them through other life transitions happening through there. And so we're really trying to honor and help each other through life's transitions and growing and just having fun with each other. It's been a really beautiful community. 2020 would have been our fifth annual retreat. Instead, we're doing Zoom calls on the winter and summer solstice until we can be in person again. Mm-hmm. And then um, with Caitlin, who's part of our cohort here, She's, she and I are the primary hostesses of that. We have a team with three other women in it that host it. But Kaylin and I are also looking at starting juvenescent moon cycles. And these are womb cycle courses for those that have wombs, no matter what their identity is. And it's to help young and wombed people step into their first bleed and walk into adulthood with their family, with honor, with ritual, with open-hearted guidance and questioning aloud. And we're still forming that. We're looking at probably doing a four-week cycle a couple times a year, maybe even a year-long mentorship down the road where we can really help young juvenescent people with wombs. So juvenescence is the time of adolescence. I love that word, juvenescence. It's just so juicy. Yeah, it's so good. Help them through that really awkward time of life and just be another adult that's not their parents that they can turn to and has good relationship with their parents so that it's a community that's helping young people step into adulthood. Mm. And with my business partner, she's actually my medical biller, Tamika Thompson and Silver Lining Adjustments. We've been doing the business of being a doctor and helping new grads in alternative care medical fields, but also MDs and conventional medical field folks too, who want to do solo small practice work, helping them set up their business plan so they can have financial success and healthy systems and know how to upgrade and adjust those systems so they can just be the healers and the doctors that they want to be. So we did one workshop early March and we we're going to have another one in April and we still haven't figured out how we're getting back up on our feet for that one. So we'll figure it out. And then a colleague of mine, Dr. Michelle Young, who's also a naturopath and acupuncturist as I am, um, we're starting, we're working on a pain course. We don't have a name for it yet, but it's going to be an all in online, various different platforms, like some webinar style, some video instruction, some journal prompts, some handouts and at-home tools and whatnot for people who deal with chronic pain. I have over 20 years of living with chronic pain and understand it intimately as both a patient and a practitioner. And Dr. Michelle has a wealth of knowledge and approaches things from a slightly different angle than I do. And she's also my best friend. And so it's really fun to work with her and to be thinking about our patients and how we can really help them manage their pain when practitioners aren't available, as we all discovered, like from March till June, a lot of us had to close our doors because of government ordinance. And so a lot of patients went without care and they really needed it. And 
their quality of life really suffered because of that. And so we want to offer some online tools. And we're going to be starting with pain and moving on to new topics as we're interested in them so it stays generative and fun for us so we don't feel drained by it. Yes. Really looking forward to that. And we don't really have names of what it's going to be called or whatnot, but announcements will be coming as it develops. And then the final one is prior to COVID, I was doing hosting with Monica Konensky, who's a yoga teacher and gifted massage therapist in town, healing birth trauma workshops. We both have pretty significant birth trauma and we couldn't find help. Like I even attended perinatal workshops, conferences, professional conferences and stuff in Washington and other places. And I could not find help for my experience. Briefly, I died a couple of times during a cesarean. It was not an emergency cesarean. It was elected after 50 hours of labor, 52 hours of labor. I elected to have a cesarean. My anesthesia wore off after a half hour and I died twice on the table and experienced um, my own evisceration for about two hours. And so I'm still walking with that trauma. And as you can hear my voice shake, mm-hmm. I've healed a lot from it, but I do believe that there's all kinds of birth trauma out there. And it's not about comparing birth traumas. It's about the journey of how you heal and how you um, maintain an intact family and loving attached relationships despite the trauma. And so we have, we've actually ran, we were running quarterly courses. We did an eight week series initially, and then we decided that was too taxing for us and our young families. So we do them quarterly and we have not gotten back up on our feet since COVID because we're still adjusting to all these new rhythms and figuring out kind of where it would still be generative for us and how we can host it. And it really is in-person work. So we'd have to really uh, figure out how we can do small groups in person safely, Mm. which we know there's ways to do it. But with all the fires recently and everything, Monica had to be evacuated. So we're just dealing with all the other aspects of 2020 that are beyond COVID before we are able to offer that course again. But it's definitely something we still talk about wanting to do and we're really excited about and we know there's a deep need for it. And these are birth traumas that don't involve death that we work with. So no maternal or infant loss and, or miscarriage and because that's just beyond our scope. And we found that that's a whole other way of healing that needs to happen in a different community. So those are called women's circles for now. And yeah, everything's kind of being reimagined because as we talked about at the beginning of our conversations, I slowed down a lot last year. And so everything that was going to be out by now, like June was all these things were going to be ripping and raring by June. None of them are. And I'm okay with that. And it actually feels really freeing and exciting that like the dreams and the passion don't diminish just because the timeline shifts. And, you know, hearing kind of in quick succession, all of these offerings that are percolating, that are, you know, ebbing and flowing, but still very much in the works. It's so clear how much of you is in each of these offerings, that these are like deep and vulnerable and powerful offerings, each in their own right, that require a lot of you as a guide, as the, the grounded present person. And I know it wasn't the quote unquote plan, but I'm glad that there has been time for you to really slow down and take good care of yourself so that when the time is right, you can return to some of these projects with your fullness. Yeah, I feel that too. Like it's, it's really like I, one of my other like uh, things we talked about in the Catalyst cohort was, I don't remember if it was the North Star or the mission statement or core values, but one of them is DNA shifting and I really and community changing for me. Mm-hmm. I really believe in shifting our DNA. Something that changes, we might not see them, kind of like we were talking about with roots. We might not see the changes for two to five years. I feel like for me, most of the stuff I manifest takes two to five years. Yeah. <laughs> My timeline, but whether it's like relationship or business or family or fun or whatever, like most things take two to five years because I start them at the DNA level and like integrate them into my being so that every step I take, it's like a new way of walking in the world, right? It can be arduous, but it's just detail-oriented and mindful. You know, mindfulness is what that is, basically. Mm. And, and these DNA shifts and doing them in community is what changes our culture. And there's you know, so much, I believe that. <laughs> there's so much beauty that can be built if we really intentionally create communities, whether that's 
the community created for a year, like the cohort. And, you know, that'll have its spider webbing out and the little, what are those, how rhizomes like shoot roots off of them and stuff. It's just mm. the rhizome. It's going to have more roots off of it, right? And then more nourishment to come. And that's just how we all need to start these just small actions and that grassroots. I mean, grassroots is a good term for it, right? Because grass is amazing. I watch a lot of David Attenborough. If you don't know, he's a... Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, British and what do you call it? Like nature show mm-hmm. guy. <laughs> and uh, the grasslands always blow my mind because grass root systems hold the earth together. They like they basically keep the world turning with like the pollens they put in the air, the way they affect climate, the way they affect root systems and aquas, you know, aquifers and all that. It's like it's all about the grass roots because if the grass roots aren't healthy, then you can't you know can't support large swaths of prey and predators and you know you don't have the climate shifting and changing according to the seasons without the grasslands and the grass roots and so yeah if we can just shift our dna and shift our communities and you know maintain that focus of body listening really just listening deep listening to each other you know gaslighting comes from an inability to listen i feel like Mm. and so it's like if we could just listen I know a lot of my patients, their healing comes from just being heard. Mm-hmm. Tell me, like, I feel like you're the first doctor that's ever actually listened to me and is hearing what I'm saying. Mm. And not just putting me in a box and, you know, you do this, this, and this if you show up with this. And so, yeah, I feel like that's the crux of it. The work is to help people shift their DNA, help me shift my DNA. I mean, all this work is self-serving too, and not in a selfish way, but just in that, like, I have weeks where I like hear myself repeating things to patients that are on similar paths and it's also a journey I'm on in my own healing work. And I'm like, oh, I need to really assimilate this into my body and like actually hear it because yeah. really good advice I'm giving right now. No. <laughs> toot, toot. That's me tooting my own horn. Just kidding. No. Toot it. Toot, toot away. <laughs> I also just feel like it's the listening to each other and it's the listening to ourselves. Yeah, I think, and this is like a real personal vulnerable moment I'm going to share with you all, but I first learned about listening when I was 16 years old. My father ended up in rehab and I was the oldest child living in my home with my mom and my little sister. I have two older siblings who were not at home anymore because they were older and we were really struggling as a family because of my dad's alcoholism and addiction at that time. And my mom really wanted to go to Al-Anon, which is AA Alcoholics Anonymous for family members of addicts and alcoholics. And she was too scared to go. And I remember I took her, I drove her because I was 16 by then. And I took her and we sat in the circle with about, I was probably 50 to 75 people. I was shocked there were so many people there. And most of them were over 60. So had been living and working the steps in the program for a really long time. And we sat in a circle and people shared according to the theme. And I don't remember all that. But I do remember is sitting there. And hearing some of our truths and other people's stories, but also recognizing that as a young 16-year-old, I didn't have to live such a tormented and painful life like these people did. Like I heard their reactions to their experiences in their homes and how they felt and how they chose to to respond in different things and how they didn't choose to respond because sometimes emotions are so big. And I felt like I got to live about 95 lives before I ever had to actually live any of it. Because I was able to just sit there and actually deeply listen and take it into myself and know that that's not the life I wanted. Mm. So I got to learn from all these wise elders about how to live with an alcoholic and addicted family member. And that's not my own, my father's not my only one. And it brought me so much healing and so much, it brought so much truth out of the experiences and the stories we share in here that I was just like, oh. So if I can be the kind of person who lives through life and actually learns from other people's experience and their stories, so I don't have to fall into those forms of pain, mm. suffering, then this is going to be a lot easier for me, <laughs> right? And it is. I think that's part of the reason why I can hold joy and grief in equal amounts and still have a smile on my face and still ball in a ball. You know, I can ball in a ball. Mm. <laughs> I'm gonna ball one second and wake and like come up from that and walk and skip and be joyful the next. And not because I'm compartmentalizing, but because it's a full life being lived, right? I'm actually feeling and choosing 
and feeling and choosing and feeling and choosing. And it's like every nanosecond feeling and choosing that's going on. And yeah, so that was like my first aha moment with deep listening. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I was selfish. It was because I didn't want to suffer because <laughs> I was suffering a lot in my home at that time. I was tired of it. I feel like that also loops back to what you're saying about, you know, the interconnected piece and also about, you know, it's not ancestors in that sense, but like learning from the generations, listening to your elders in this sense and really taking that in, informing how you're moving through the world. Mm -hmm. I feel like I do that with my patients too. They're such great, brave teachers for me, you know, and I used to work with kids. And like walking age to five-year-olds, it's like a whole nother form of bravery going on. Yeah. Yeah. And recognizing that we all have something to teach and something to learn, many things to teach and many things to learn. And it's kind of like cultivating our humbleness and our deep belief in ourselves and each other so that we can, we can listen and and simultaneously trust what we have to share as well. Yeah, I think that dichotomy of confidence and humility can exist and does. It's hard to grasp because of our fear of pride and our fear of ego. Yeah, and then so much ingrained shame about taking up space and having our voices heard and all of the complexities of that. Yeah, and like taking it, you were talking about that, like our value what if our value, we talked about earlier in this conversation, stepping away from our value being in the busyness and in what we do. And what if our value really is in our stories? Mm-hmm. And hasn't that been humanity since humans have been around? It's our stories that have connected us and taught us. So how we hold our stories and how we choose to share our stories is really, really important. Just My dear that. one, I feel like we could... Oh God, we're, I didn't realize for I'm hours and hours. <laughs> Thank you. For, Thank you for sharing your stories here. Uh, yeah. So honestly and fully, I really, this has just been such a healing conversation. I feel like a big virtual embrace from you. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's been really clarifying for me as well. And yeah big hugs. Big, big hugs. And so you, you shared your website. Will you say it one more time for folks so they can find you easily? Yeah. com. That's Q-U-E-R-C-U-S-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-H-E-A-L-T-H. I didn't have that in front of me. I hope I spelled that. I know. I'm like, I do not know how to spell that way. (laughs) I'm such a visual speller. I have to write it down. (laughs) Not from my eyeballs. (laughs) We'll make sure that people get access to the link. And is that where they can find information about the projects that you talked about as they unfold and are ready to share? Yeah, there's a tab in there called Connection and Community, and that's where you'll find any facilitation work I do. And there's a healthcare tab, too, for patient care. And then there's a tab for, it's called Docere, and that's for online learning stuff like I was talking about with Dr. Michelle Young. Um, So like the pain course and the online stuff will be there. Beautiful. When, I don't know, because I'm on. Yeah, we're trusting the pace. And unfolding. People People will just be invited to pop in and out and look at your website often because it's beautiful. Is there, for that. <laughs> <laughs> is there a, a question or a prompt that you want to offer to folks listening, something that they can sit with and contemplate or journal about or act on, something that is a question on your mind and heart that you can offer to them. I do. So it's not a simple question, so I might ramble a little. The question I have for you is, what rhythms are you dancing to right now? So how are your rhythms changing in stepping away from the new normal and talking about normal as something healthy? I'd like to speak of it as in terms of rhythms. So I just would love for people to explore the rhythms they're dancing with and 
the rhythms that they're hearing and feeling and the rhythms they're listening to in their body and the rhythms that all of these changes are bringing to us and how are we going to dance and celebrate and mourn and rage in these new rhythms and what kind of seeds are we going to be harvesting and planting with our rhythms so are we in rhythm with nature are we in rhythm with ourselves are we in rhythm with our community can we find those rhythms Mm. Mm, thank you Mm -hmm. i love you so much this Mm. has really been such a pleasure and a joy and thank you for being patient with my son interrupting (laughs) absolutely I know that's the community, but I, also, special guest. but I also like to express the gratitude for it because it's really a blessing to have that safety. Absolutely. All right. Take care, Anya. I love you. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for this Catalyst conversation. I would love to know what's resonating for you or what new questions this conversation inspired. Also, the next Catalyst Leadership Immersion will begin in January 2021. If you're feeling the call to circle up in beloved community, to catalyze your heart work, and to contribute your unique remedy into this fractured time, I hope you'll join us. You can learn more via my website, anyahankin.com, and I'd love to connect over on Instagram. I'm at Anya Hinkin. Extra special thanks to my friend Robin Jackson for the music and Brooke Bradford for podcast editing and to the catalysts who have shared their truth here and to you for listening in. I look forward to continuing the conversation.